that there is a spiritual realm and there is both good and evil there and we have to be careful not to mess around with the evil parts of it because there is a spiritual world that is always pressing in on the physical world and when we start to dabble in the evil parts of the spiritual realm when you sow to the wind you're going to reap the whirlwind and so it's not something to be played with and it's not something to be dismissed like there's nothing there because there is definitely stuff there The spiritual realm is alive and moving constantly all around us. Both good and evil forces are vying for our attention. We need to be aware of their presence. In today's message, Pastor Daniel warns us of the dangers of taking part in activities that do not honor Jesus. They may seem harmless at the outset, but they can quickly pull us away from our Creator and set us down a path that will only lead to destruction and chaos. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, with part two of his message, Spiritual Leadership. God does not accept everything that a human wants to do. Just because you do something, quote-unquote, spiritual, does not mean that it's something that is in line with the heart and the plans of God. And God makes a distinction, who God is and how God wants to be worshipped. And I think this is very important, especially in a day and age in which we live, where we live in a global village, and you can find out what the practices going on on the other side of the world, that a lot of people, especially here in the West, they see these novel things that you didn't grow up with, and you say, oh, that looks kind of cool. And you got to realize that just because somebody is doing it does not mean it honors God. God does not accept whatever type of worship people give. Now, some people get mad and they say, well, who are you to say? I'm like, I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you what the book says. And if you study the Bible at all, you realize that the Bible is not like any other book because the Bible self-authenticates itself through prophecy and a lot of other ways. And so I trust that this is God's word and God knows who he is, and how he wants us to be, and how he wants us to worship. Does that make sense? So our job as followers of Jesus is to submit ourselves to the word, no matter what the culture says. Because our culture today says, do whatever you want to do. Whatever seems right to you, do that thing. And it's all good. Like, just by nature of us being human, then we are entitled to a glorious afterlife with God of whatever making, right? And I'm here to tell you that's a great lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. It's not choose your own spiritual adventure and get whatever spiritual destiny you want. It doesn't work that way. If there was no God and if you were God, then maybe it would work that way. But guess what? There is a God and none of us are him. Does that make sense? Like, like I'm not God. There is a God, and God's saying, this is how I want you to be. And for the children of Israel, he's saying, I want you to be different. He goes through all of these different things that were common customs in the land, and he's saying, you shouldn't be doing any of this. I don't want you to learn this from them. I don't want you to follow it all. Notice things like this in verse 10. There shall be no one who passes through or who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. 
Now, this is, was later spoken about as offering your children to Molech. And so the idea might be some sort of a magical, like if you can make it through the fire and not get burned, you're especially blessed. But it ended up being a practice of child sacrifice. And you can read about it in 2 Kings 23, Jeremiah 32, and another number of other places where there were literally people who were having their children and offering their children to the god Molech. Actually, the concept of hell as a place burning with fire, it actually began in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's what they called it because Hinnom had his son pass through the fire. And it was actually right, if you're walking up where Jerusalem is, up on Mount Zion, if you've ever been there, there's this huge, beautiful garden that's there now. But way, way back in the day, this guy Hinnom had his son pass through the fire there. And it was so reprehensible to the people that they made it a garbage dump, an incinerator. So the idea of Gehenna, where there's a continual fire burning, is because the children of Israel responded to such an egregious act of child sacrifice to the God of Molech that they made that place a place where there was always fire burning and there were burning refuse. And that's where the imagery of the eternal abode of those who reject God comes from. That's where it comes from. And you could imagine today we say, man, child sacrifice, right? Like, who could do it, right? But he's saying that was what was going on in that culture. No way. As parents, our job is to help our kids flourish. Our authority as parents is not to squash giftings, but it is to nurture so our little ones can blossom and become the people that the Lord made them to be. And definitely not to see them sacrifice. You have things here like the word witchcraft, which was a broad term, and it described a huge variety of occultic behaviors. You have this idea of a soothsayer, which was a reference to an astrological type of divination. So I think the idea with a soothsayer would be like our modern ideas of astrology. Now you have to realize for most of the astrology that you get in the newspaper, someone's just sitting down making that stuff up. You got to know that. Just don't even mess with that stuff. You know, like reading the stars, all that stuff. We should have nothing, nothing going on. The idea here of interpreting omens, it says next. And that really, that word for interpreting, it comes from the root word to hiss or to whisper. And it refers to psychics or fortune tellers who use these different aids to come to some sort of spiritual knowledge. The idea of a sorcerer, and in the New Testament, the idea of sorcery, it always involves drug use. You know, so the idea of the shaman who does some hallucinogen to go into an altar, that was this idea of a sorcerer. And so, listen, we do live in a day and age now where lots of people talk about the spiritual overtones of drug use. Listen, if God wanted you to experience life altered, he would have made you that way. The single greatest reasoning not to intoxicate yourself with any foreign substance is because God created you just the way he wanted you to perfectly experience who he is. And so any sort of drugs to help, I meet people often that say, well, I love Jesus, and I went and I took some LSD so I can get closer to Jesus. I'm like, no. I just want to be like, dude, total face palm. Like, you got to be kidding me, you know? And especially like we live in a day and age now where our culture, marijuana, is legal here in the state of Washington. And there's lots of people like, well, I just smoked some weed. It's like, no, no, God created, he created that plant and it has uses, but you are not supposed to get 
altered off of it. It's such an important reality because I think when we live our lives altered, what we're doing is we're telling God that he didn't do a good job. If we say, well, it's so much fun just to get a little bombed, really what you're saying is that, God, you created me in a way that isn't right, that I'm missing something. And so I realize that when I say those things, there's some of you here right now, some of you who are watching online who are saying, oh, come on, Fusco. I mean, you got those dreads. You're supposed to be cool or something. And it definitely passed through someone's mind, like, come on. But listen, I would be a lousy pastor if I didn't tell you these things. Because we live in a world, there's nothing that will diminish the light of Jesus in your life more than using any sort of foreign substance. It will diminish the brightness of Jesus in your life. I've seen it many, many times. I've seen people who are on fire for the Lord and they start to screw around, start to mess around. You know, and then before you know it, all sorts of things are going on. You know, I have friends, pastors, they're being removed from their pulpits because they are starting to mess around with what the Bible would call sorcery. And then you have no moral authority, you have no ability to be able to lead anybody. And so this is not something to be played with, especially in a culture. Like, listen, our society is designed to keep you medicated. Because you know Why? If they keep you medicated, you're just a sheep. It diminishes your ability to be the people that God created you to be, and we need to be careful. So sorcery, it was part of it. The idea of a conjurer of spells, a charmer of charms is one of the ways that you can describe this. Someone who will cast spells or charms and amulets, all these things. You have the idea of a medium, anyone who stands between the physical world and the spiritual world, to channel psychic knowledge. We have all these people that have been on TV, you know, who go and they'll talk to the dead people for you. Look, all that is pushed away in the Bible. And listen, the thing you have to realize, and you have it in the writings of Samuel, of course, is that there's some legitimacy to that. It's not like there's no legitimacy to it, because there is. But we're not supposed to play around with it. Why? Because God has given us enough in his word. See, the reality is that there is a spiritual realm and there is both good and evil there. And we have to be careful not to mess around with the evil parts of it because there is a spiritual world that is always pressing in on the physical world. And when we start to dabble in the evil parts of the spiritual realm, when you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And so it's not something to be played with and it's not something to be dismissed like there's nothing there because there is definitely stuff there. So you have to be careful. We should have nothing to do with it. And the idea of a spiritist, it literally means the knowing ones, those who claim a unique psychic knowledge or unique psychic powers. And so all of these things are things that we need to avoid. Notice in verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. That literally, you shall be perfect before the Lord your God. All through the book of Leviticus, you hear, you shall be holy as the Lord your God is holy. We shall be blameless as the Lord is without blame. See, we should be chips off the old block, as I like to say. We should be taking on the characteristics of our father. And our father is perfect and he's blameless. And so we should be living our lives in such a way that there is no blame that could be brought against us in any way. And he reminds them, verse 14, for these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. 
He's saying the nations that are there that you're dispossessing, they were involved in this stuff. They listened to those type of people. I have not appointed them for you. I have another plan for you. And then as we move here into this last little section here in verse 15, look what it says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Mount Horeb in the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that Whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen, or come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken, that prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. Now, what's important about this is he just said to them, listen, I don't want you to follow all the different spiritual practices of the day. And then he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now, This is simple, but who's the prophet he's speaking about? He's speaking of Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus is the prophet that the Lord raised up from your midst, from your brethren, and him you should hear. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is this promised prophet, right? That's why even John's gospel grabs hold of this. He says, you heard from Moses, and now we have Jesus, Right? Jesus is, he's raised up. He's from amongst the people. He's from amongst the children of Israel. Notice it says, according, verse 16, to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. See, God, all of the hopes and all of the dreams of the children of Israel from the time of Mount Sinai is all fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. God sent Jesus, and God placed his words in Jesus' mouth. And God holds all people accountable to the words of Jesus. And Jesus, when he says something like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he holds us accountable for that. And I'm sure there's some of you right now who are like, well, you know, okay, so God's going to raise up this prophet, and God's going to put his words in his mouth, and he's only going to speak the things that I command him. But you're saying, I don't want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. What it says in verse 19 And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Those are terrifying words, really. 
Because what he's saying is that if you won't hear the prophet who I've raised up and who I've put my words in their mouth, if you won't listen to him, then I'm going to hold you accountable for that. I'm going to require that disobedience of you. And my friends, that is the most important thing about life. The most important question is simply, what have you done with Jesus? You got to ask yourself that. Don't worry about your, your neighbor. Don't worry about your friends. Don't worry about somebody across the world who you've never met, who maybe never heard about. You have to ask yourself, what have I done with Jesus? The answer to that question has eternal ramifications. What have you done with Jesus? God wants us to embrace his son, to respond to his son, to believe upon his son and to follow his son. Because any times we live in a way that is not embracing and following the Lord, your life will never be the life that God designed for you. And I think the biggest maybe concern I have as a pastor within the church is that there's a lot of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus, but we really don't follow him. Like you can, you can come to church and you could have put your faith and trust in Jesus. You could have been baptized along the way. But when push comes to shove day in and day out, you're really not following Jesus. Jesus is the farthest thing that you're thinking about. You say you're just following whatever the dreams that you picked up along the way. And Jesus has nothing to do with it. And so in a lot of ways, you're living your own life. And you have a little Jesus sprinkled on top. And as I always say, Jesus was not meant to be a condiment. It's not meant to be like the little thing you sprinkle on top. Jesus wants us to follow him truly, to believe in him deeply. Jesus desires, I mean, I'll never forget this. You know, my father, I'm still awaiting the day when my dad really bows the knee to Jesus. My dad was like, I believe in Jesus. He's like, but I don't take, like, I just don't understand why it's so serious for you. And I remember the first time he said to me, I said, Dad, if you think about what Jesus did, It's as serious as your life. Like, if you really think about this, what this means, you can't be, like, kind of into this Jesus thing. I mean, like, he gave his whole life. And then my dad's normally like, well, listen, man, I changed your diaper, so, like, we don't have to do this sermon right now, you know? But listen, a a prophet has no honor in his own country, so I just, I sick my wife on him that way, you know? He loves his daughter-in-law, you know? But it's like, Jesus is as serious as your life. You know, like the message of Jesus cost him everything that you might know God. Like, and that you might be indwelt with his Holy Spirit. And so it's not something that should be an afterthought for our life. Jesus should be in the driver's seat of our life. Because the life that you truly desire in the depths of who you are, when you strip away all the different layers that your parents give you and society gives you and your own dreams for yourself, the life that is truly fulfilling is a life lived in the spirit following Jesus. That's a life that you truly want. But what happens is we get so used to looking for other things that we are always like the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're always trying to grasp the wind. And life's elusive that way. But it's as simple as you and I need to simply follow Jesus. We always say, and I love, when we first started using the simply responding to Jesus language, Pastor Bill Founding Pastor said, you know, Daniel, it really isn't so simple though. You know that, right? And I said, yeah, I know. But we're going to keep working until it gets simple. 
Because in a lot of ways, it's like, we just follow Jesus. Well, is it that easy? Well, yeah. Is it easy? No. Because at every given point of our life, at every juncture, we have to decide, Jesus, which way are you heading? What does your word say? What brings God the most glory and brings the most blessing to humanity? You know, where is my pride involved in this and my ego and all my garbage? Where is that, you know? And trying to divide those things out aren't easy, but that's, of course, why we have the word of God, right? Because the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes down to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. So when you live your life in God's word, all of a sudden, God's word starts to divide what is indivisible. I mean, how do you divide soul and spirit or joints and marrow? See, it's a word picture saying only God's word can divide up what seems completely undividable. And that's why God's word is so important for us. Now, this is so important because you get this thing that God's going to send a prophet. I already told you the prophet is Jesus, right? But what happens when somebody shows up who's a prophet who really isn't? Now, listen, we got to talk about this because... People love people with the gift of prophecy today because it feels a little bit more personal than just believing the word of God. Now, listen, I believe very much in the gift of prophecy, but there might be no greater abuse in the body of Christ than somebody with a prophetic word who isn't a prophet, who God didn't send, and gets people off on tangents gets them off in this direction and that direction. Almost every splinter movement from biblical Christianity began with a charismatic person with a prophecy. Look at church history. Almost everyone began with a charismatic figure with a word of prophecy. Now notice verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or he who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Wow. What this means is that God takes people speaking in his name very, very seriously. And so not only if someone speaks a word in the name of the true and living God that he didn't say, or if someone prophesies in the name of another God, both of them are under a capital punishment. That's powerful. God's like, not only do I like when people prophesy in other gods' names, and that's bad, but when someone speaks in my name that I haven't spoken. That makes you think for a second about it. Now notice in verse 21, and if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. If you read the prophetic writings in your Bible, almost every time when God raises up a prophet, that prophet will give a local prophecy that will authenticate the reality of their prophetic office. Jesus is real. Is there still prophecy today? Pastor Daniel shared with us that though there is still a gift of prophecy, it's typically abused in our society. We were warned to test what these people say, not relying solely on their charm and smooth words to alter our lives. False prophets plagued the early churches and continue to wreak havoc in the world today. 
Only truth will keep us from following them, so it's wise to know that truth. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith. In Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel teaches on refuge cities. These were places set up within Israel as safe havens, places people could come if they were in need of sanctuary. These cities were required by God as evidence of His love, and they point to a greater love that we know well today. God gave us a refuge city to run to as well. In Jesus, our Savior, His love and grace is all we need to survive. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.